As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Oh, Miles here. Your owl post for the week is freshly delivered, and I am one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is always, uh, the fantastic and wonderfully witchy Drea Kaufman. How is it going? Hello, everyone. It's going good. It's nice to be able to re- like to just refurbish that phrase, you know, like that somebody's witchy and not have it be bad because we're on a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> I'm not podcast. offended by your description. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, what do you mean I'm witchy? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's quite okay. Um, but no, I'm, I'm excited to be here because uh, we're Still going through the Prisoner of Azkaban, and this week we've hit uh, Chapter 12, the Patronus. And before we dive into that, just want to give a huge shout out. We got a brand new review there, Drea, on iTunes. I don't know if you saw that, but I was very just checking excited. now. So yes, <laughs> now yes. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, with a newborn, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, hey, it's okay. Um, so uh. Nerd named Dre said, a great journey, chapter by chapter through each chapter, starting at the beginning, and I can't wait to follow the host through each book. Five stars, they said, a lovely podcast, so thank you so much for uh, going over to do that. Yeah, that means so and much And thanks for joining us. us chapter by chapter. I'm so excited. We're I wish dancing. I could see us like, dancing. Yeah, we're actually seats, yeah. dancing. Uh, but no, it means a lot to us because um, every review helps more people find us when they're searching for Harry Potter podcasts in iTunes. And so do that. Give us a star rating review. We'll give you a huge shout out on the show. Uh, tell everybody uh, that you can about us. You can actually follow us on uh, social media. We're on at Join Nerd Party. That's for the whole network. And so every time we tweet about our shows you can retweet them uh, you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party where you can comment on the shows as we post them there you can share them with other people on your facebook uh, you can also find us on our website at thenerdparty.com. and while you're there you can go to the nerdparty.com slash contact and you can choose a show choose outposts and that will send an email to dre and i will be able to talk to you that way as well and if you have a question or something you want to ask or maybe something a little more personal you wanted to share feel free and write us we love getting emails from people it's so much fun and 
Uh, maybe it's something that you wanted to share with everybody uh, about your thoughts, and we can share them on the show. So uh, hit us up that way. But um, Drea, I'm really uh, am glad to be continuing on in the book. And this chapter, um, some really interesting things happen in it uh, that kind of further the story. And there are parts of it that we, people will understand if this is the first time they're reading them a little bit later on in the book, but there are a lot of things that kind of get set up here that pay off later. And so we may give you a like hint, hint, hey, put a pin in this. You might not want to remember this, uh, but we won't spoil it too much for everybody just in case you haven't read it, but we'll dance around it a little bit. So we try to avoid spoilers as much as possible. We right. are not great at it, <laughs> yeah. but we do our best. We We try. You know, we're definitely failing at that whole Yoda axiom. We definitely just try. We cannot promise that we'll do. But (laughs) I really, uh, this chapter is interesting because it starts right after the, uh, the Christmas break for the kids. And it was interesting having Wood kind of like immediately catch up with Harry and be like, Harry, what are you going to do if more Dementors show up the next time we have a game? Because, like, you know, I kind of want to win and, like, I don't want to have to replace you. And, like, the way he's doing it is just so funny because you can tell, like, he's not being all that tactful. He really just wants to win. <laughs> he, Yeah, he, like, kind of, you know... It's almost like he's like, you know, I care about you and I care about your well-being. But right now, my concern is this thing over here. And it's about making sure that we can win and how we win. <laughs> like It's one of those things where like, you know that I care, right? We don't have to. I don't have to pretend. OK, good. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> he's it's like exactly what I would do. I was like, oh, well, that would be me. He's so. like, you get the fact that. I don't want I like Bill to fall. Yeah, I mean, I like you, but winning's kind of more important at the moment. So, you know, don't feel. I hope that doesn't, you know, make me a bad person. But no, it is. It is really funny because Harry's like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm going to work with Professor Lupin. He's going to help me, um, and we're going to figure out a way to fight off. He's like, oh, okay, that's great. And then he's like, uh, but have you got a new broom yet? And Harry's like, well, I got a firebolt. And you you could just see like Wood's face like, <gasps> and then Harry's like, oh, but they got taken away. <laughs> no, I think I think when I was reading, I think Ron tells Wood that he got a firebolt, and then Harry's like, but I got it taken away. Yes, because I remember it's something where like I don't feel like Harry would have shared that he got that because he knew he couldn't use it. Right. But Ron's like still bitter about it, <laughs> so he's like, well, he got a firebolt, but they don't have it anymore. Well, Whatever. My favorite part about it is like. Harry's like, well, because they think that maybe Sirius Black sent it to me and it could be jinxed. And Wood's like, but where in the world is he going to get the opportunity to order you on the run a firebolt? And Harry's like, into the store. Yeah. Harry's like, I I know. I don't get it either. But apparently, you know, they think it could be a thing. So I don't have it anymore. And he's like, I'll talk to McGonagall. We'll get this straightened out. Well, and I kind of like, I mean, it is what I like about it here is that everybody brings up good reasons, you know, really why this shouldn't be a thing. You know, why it's kind of absurd to think that Sirius Black actually sent him this broom. And I think that's really smart, honestly, like th- that she 
kind of shows both sides of the argument here. And I'm, you know, at this point in the story, I'm kind of on Harry's side. Like, this is kind of dumb. Come on, guys. Like, how in the world is this even possible? You know? Uh, so, because see, I... I'm like the opposite, because I'm like, a, I'm not really a big risk taker. So I'm like, okay, well, I would rather be absolutely sure that I'm not going <laughs> to die on this broomstick <laughs> before I use it, because I don't know who it's from. So if, unless someone can tell me who it's from, I'm going to let it get stripped down to its bare core and hope for the best and hope that, it, you know, they ruin it. At least I didn't die. like (laughs) that's what it comes down to at least i didn't die well and it's funny too is the classes start again and harry is very excited because he's going to be starting his anti-dementor lessons with lupin and they're walking the halls together and they see him and ron's like man he still looks really sick and behind them they're here just like like and they turn around and it's hermione and ron's like uh why are you tutting us? <laughs> I've never heard that said that way before. I'm going to start either. using that, by the way. I thought why, it was did you, why are you tutting me? Well, and I just, I, I like that there's this thing, like Hermione obviously has figured out whatever it is that's going on the Lupin, and she's like, well, isn't it obvious? And Well, and it is too. I had figured it out first read through, but yes, I... Especially knowing what it is, it's like crazy obvious. I'm I'm curious if there's any first time readers out there, if it's obvious to you at this point, mm-hmm. or if you aren't gonna figure, if you haven't figured it out. So I'd love to know if anyone who hasn't read this before has figured this out. Well, and it is, it is interesting because that you know they have the spat back and forth, and is like, well, if you know, why don't you tell us? And Hermione's like, well, if you don't already know, I'm not gonna tell you. And she she huffs off and Ron's like, she doesn't know. She's just trying to get us to talk to her again. Uh, Which is both probably right and wrong at the same time. She does know, but she is probably just trying to get them to talk to her again. But she's too prideful to actually like... Engage. Engage, exactly. Um, I, I feel like Ron and Hermione kind of have this pride and prejudice thing going on. It's it I just realized that she they really do kind of have that, you know, Mr. Darcy Elizabeth Bennett relationship going on. It's kind of fun. They're just ridiculous. It's just They hilarious. are, but they're also thirteen, so it's kind of to be expected. Um That's true. Well, and I love, I love that Ron is just still so angry about this broomstick. It's not even his broomstick, and he's just so angry about it. I love that she describes he's like criminally angry about it. Like she, it's like she committed a crime by reporting them. <laughs> I just love how like that's a great description. I can just see him being like super pissed off. You know, it it makes sense, right? Because for him, I mean, this is his best friend, and he got something really cool and he also kind of got it taken away because Harry was going to let him write it and now he can't write it, you know, and this is, I mean, think about it in Ron's perspective. This is, this is as close as he'd ever get to having it on his, like himself, you know, and, and in some ways it does kind of feel like he got it taken away. Um, that, and I mean, they had the conversation together and I think he feels like Hermione went behind his back too. Um, that's true. You know, I'm, it's sure. I'm sure it's about more than the, the broom. And I think it's got a little bit of uh, tension between them. So you know, 
some other things maybe going on that they haven't quite figured out yet because they're 13. So, <laughs> and who knows what what that's going to look like, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, hint, hint. Anyway, uh, I do like that we finally get the the Dementor lessons with Lupin and. What's interesting in this lesson is is we really learn a lot of things. Um, one, we learn what the Patronus is. And the whole idea of it being this kind of positive force that projects everything that Dementors feed on, but then doesn't have any fear, so it, it blocks the person being affected by the Dementors. I think it's really interesting. And the idea that... It only works if you're concentrating on a single very happy memory. And it almost seems like, you know, as we've talked about the the whole idea of depression with the Dementors and really seeing that throughout the series here in this book, um, it also seems like the Patronus is one of the ways, you know, uh, in, in some way that that people can kind of find their way out of depression when they finally can see a happy memory you know, and, and focus on that, um, and that they will be able to make those again, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I just thought that was a really interesting thing uh, to see in this chapter and kind of have that explained finally. Yeah, I, I like, and I like that we get to go kind of through Harry's thought process behind the memories he does pick, right? Like, he's like, I don't have a single happy memory at the Dursleys, so it's not there, you know? Um, and seeing him go from like riding a broom to the first time. And I love his thought process behind, um, you know, this is when I'm finding out that I'm a wizard. And if there's not a happier moment than that, I don't know what, <laughs> what, what it is. Like, I don't know what a happy moment is then. Um, I thought was, was very keen of him. Um, I find it interesting. And, and here's where it deviates from the book, the movie a little bit in that, um, you know, we don't see him do a like a big patronus in this at this point like he hasn't successfully done that yet he hasn't done the shield hasn't repelled the dementor yet um and hasn't um really found that super happy memory yet like in the in the movie it seems very quick he does it in his like first first lesson um so i found it interesting here's where we deviate from that a little bit which i like i like the idea this is supposed to be really difficult so he shouldn't be able to do it um but I, I find the journey of exploring what's happy for someone like Harry, who doesn't probably have what you can describe as a real happy childhood, um, trying to find the thing that makes him most happy. Um, and it's kind of a good reminder to like for the rest of us to like stop and think about what it is that like makes us happy. Right. Like if you had to cast your own Patronus, what would you, you know, what would you go and draw upon? Um, I just think it's such kind of a fun exercise that sort of inadvertently has you do while you're reading it. That's a really good question, too, because, and I like that you bring that up, because it's actually not something I had thought about, but the the idea that Harry doesn't have tons of happy memories, I think what it does is it reminds you just how amazing it is that this kid's kind of turning out the way he is, because yeah. he doesn't have a lot of these happy memories, like mm-hmm. most of us do. And, you know, even when you start to kind of think about, like, what would you think of in your own life? Like, what are those moments that just you really hold on to where you were the safest, most secure and happiest that you've ever been? And when you think about that, you're like, wow, Harry really doesn't have any of that because he's never felt safe or secure or I think probably truly happy. Um, 
So it is interesting to, and I think, you know, when you were again, tying it to like the whole idea of de- depression, like that's what causes people to fall into that, you know, because they don't have that safety security or the feeling like that they're ever going, that they're ever going to have those things, you know? And it's interesting because over the last three years and this being the third year that we've been with Harry, like that slowly been coming more and more for him, but it's still, when you think about it, it's still really shallow. The pool he has to draw from comparatively to so many other people that are even just in this castle. Well, and you generally, I mean, these have been some really great times in Harry's life. He's, you know, had friends and starting to build sort of a family unit again. Um, but he's also had some really terrible things happen to him in the last three years at Hogwarts. Um, but I also, when you think about it, he hasn't had those. I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about a kid who's experiencing some sort of puberty. Like we're entering teenage, pre-teenage years since he started here. Um, Those are not always the most pleasant years of our lives. (laughs) And you're also missing out on sort of this simplistic childhood joy that we experience as babies and toddlers and little kids that we don't truly understand anything. We don't overthink anything. We just get to experience like this pure love and joy that we get from our families. And, you know, obviously not true for everyone. Um, But, you know, I feel like a lot of us can find a super... baby childhood memory that's like really joyous that feels so great because we literally didn't have any context for it we couldn't overthink it we couldn't read between the lines you know we couldn't overanalyze what was happening because we were just kids and that was just it's a feeling we have now instead of a thought that we have um and i feel like harry's been kind of stripped of like all of that entirely and has none of that to draw on um, which is super sad to think about. Um, so this had to be a super hard exercise for him to do, let alone him being not an experienced wizard. He also doesn't have a big pool of super happy thoughts and feelings to pull from. Um, so he's sort of the underdog of the underdogs. <laughs> so it's, it's difficult. You know, it's interesting because, you know, as he's trying to fight back these Dementors, he keeps reliving these horrible like the most horrible thing that's ever happened to him, which is what took it all away, which has made his life as it is, you know, this loss of his parents. And, you know, one of the goes he has here at the Bogart they're using instead of actual real Dementor, um, he hears his dad, actually. And Harry, you know, wakes up and he realizes that he's sweating and he's crying all at the same time and he's trying to play it off like it's cool. And, um, he tells, you know, Lupin that he heard his dad and, and Lupin's face gets kind of ashen. It seems like, and even more so than normal and gets, his voice gets kind of strange and about you heard Jane James, you know, and, and Harry's like, did you know my dad? And he's like, yeah, we were, we were friends at Hogwarts. And, you know, learning that, that's huge. Um, The fact that somebody else here he's finding knew his dad, at least. That's really crazy. Well, and I like that it takes him a second to get to the point. He goes, wait, if you knew my dad, then that would mean you knew Sirius Black. Um, 
And it was interesting to see. It's one of those things to put a pin in um, for those of you who haven't read or seen the movies this far. Um, when he, his, his, Lupin's reaction to Harry putting that connection together that he knew Sirius Black. Um, and because he, he got like kind of defensive at first and he was like, well, why would you, why, why, why do you bring that up? He's like, oh, just that, you know, my dad was friends with him. So then you you also must have been, you know, known him at least and, and just like an association. And he was like, oh, yeah, I did. It was like such a strange reaction to have. Um, you would think he would want to sort of distance himself as much as possible or or he would say something about being betrayed or hurt himself, you know. Um, I thought it was really an interesting reaction that Lupin had and I, I'd kind of forgotten about it um, entirely because it's totally missing from the movies. So um, it was a, a unique little interchange where both Harry feels like he's got a connection to his parents and at the same time sort of nervous that now there's another connection to Sirius Black too. Well, and... and- you know, Lupin kind of struggling even to figure out what to say. You know, he's like, yeah, I knew him, or at least I thought I did. And he's like, it's getting late. <laughs> Let's go. And we're done. <laughs> yeah. Um, And it is, you know, uh, an interesting thing, too, because as Harry's back, he realizes that if he can produce the Patronus charm, he will never hear his parents again. But if he wants to win the Quidditch Cup and not have this effect anymore then he needs to stop worrying about hearing his parents. And he's just kind of like, I, the little pep talk he gives himself on the way back is really odd. He's like, they're dead. They're dead, they're dead, they're dead. And if you want to win the Quidditch Cup, you need to get a grip. Otherwise, this is not going to happen. And it's just like, what a, such kind of an awful thing for a 13-year-old to have to be telling himself. Well, it's just, and it's tough for anyone to have to, sort of tell yourself, but I, I think it's also something we can relate to, right? We've all sort of been there where it's like, remind yourself of the point, right? Um, I, I can't even think of a good example right now, but I, I feel like it's relatable where you have to like talk yourself down from something and refocus yourself on what's important. Like after I had, um, after I had Olive and I'm like exhausted and, you know, just, I don't know how I'm going to function. Still trying to figure this out. I had to like keep psyching myself out and telling myself like, you don't have to get up and go to work tomorrow. You don't have to get up and go to work tomorrow. It's okay to be exhausted. You don't have to function <laughs> at work. You don't have to get up and have a memory again. Um, and, and it like had to focus myself on what was most important so that I could accomplish that and, and not freak out or panic. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Or, you know, or lose sight of what I needed to work on. So um, I feel like it's something we all can relate to that need to like, yeah, it sucks and it's selfish, but I have to, I have to focus on the more important thing here. And it's not the thing that isn't ever going to happen. Um, it's not the like clinging to the memory. It's the same thing he faced when he was looking in the the mirror of um, the mirror that Dumbledore moved, right? Dumbledore told him like, do not dwell on the past. Can't remember the exact quote, which I'm sure you can. So <laughs> it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Yes, that one. Yeah, Again, no. It's just Harry absolutely. reminding himself of that. 
Well, and I think you have a really great point, you know, that this idea like that we can kind of relate to something like this because I think we all have had things that we have to give up in order to get something else that we want. And it's really just as simple as that. I mean, that's what it comes down to for Harry. It just happens to be uh, a really bad rock in a hard place. <laughs> and, you know, this is not exactly the, the only way that you can hear your parents is the night they died. Um, and that'll be the last time that you'll ever hear them. And, and But to have that stop, it, to get something else you want, to, to move forward with your life, yeah, that's a that's a tough thing. So, and, and Harry's having it tough in general because he's only got one night a week to do homework. He's got the Dementor training with Lupin and he's got Quidditch practice and it's, it's, it's just running him ragged and they can't figure out in all of this as bad as Harry has it. Hermione has it worse. And Ron's like, how is she getting to all her classes? He's like, I heard her talking to the arithmetic witch uh, professor the other day. Like, how does she get to that class when she's in this class? Like, they cannot figure this out. And And they haven't, and she hasn't missed a single class of any of these yet. Yeah, she's like... uh, she has muggle studies, which is at the same time she has divination. How in the world is she in both of those classes? It's great. And then I love that they're, as they're talking about that, Wood comes up. He's like, well, bad news. I talked to McGonagall and, well, she was pretty upset with the conversation we had. He's like, "I." it's like she thought I didn't care about you, even though I told her I just, as long as you catch the snitch, I don't care if your broom throws you off. Oh, would I can see that though? I can see him trying to go to McGonagall, thinking he's got all this clout, and her being like, "Really? Have you lost perspective here?" Well, and yeah, it it, it just cracks me up how funny Wood is uh, with this whole thing. He wants to win. Yeah. Like, oh, bad. well, and it, it is his last chance to win the Quidditch uh, Cup here at at not the Quidditch World Cup, but the Quidditch Cup for the school. So it is a big deal to him. The minor leagues. Yep, there you go. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It, not only that, too, as is, is, is rough as Harry's got it with school, the, the mentor lessons seem to be not going as well. And Harry's just getting very frustrated. And Lupin's trying to, like, talk him down from the ledge. He's like, look, what you're trying to do is really hard. And the fact that you can produce even, like, a minor Patronus is a, is a miracle. And what you've done... You know, if they show up again, you're going to be okay. You're going to be able to get yourself on the ground. And he pulls out uh, to celebrate uh, and to make Harry feel better a couple of bottles of butterbeer. And Harry's like, oh, butterbeer! Oh, crap, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm not supposed to know what this is. I do find Harry's, um, I, don't, I don't know, displeasure with his progress. Well, no, that's what I, how I want to phrase it. But we're going to go with it, people. Let's go. Let's go with it. Um, that that's one of those qualities where I think that's what makes him so relatable to Hermione is it's very much so this need to be perfectionist and to achieve it and accomplish it and prove himself to himself. Because at this point, nobody else really cares. Lupin thinks he's doing great. Nobody else really knows he's doing it. Um, he's got nothing to prove to anybody else. This isn't a grade. It's all about him feeling like he's progressing in a satisfactory manner personally um and he doesn't feel that way um and i feel like that's one of those 
times that he can really relate to Hermione. And that's part of why they really can be friends is because it's totally a Hermione trait to like, oh my gosh, I only got an A and not an A plus. You know, it's the same thing he's doing. He only can produce a Padrona. He can only do the silverly wisp of Patronus and not a full Patronus. Um, but when he's been told that even the most accomplished of wizards sometimes can't do this, um, you know, so don't, don't get your hopes up, you know, um, and that he's progressing, he's seeing progress, you know, his Mm. progress is like that of anyone who's ever tried to lose weight, right? You don't lose 30 pounds overnight and go, look how amazing I look. You know, you lose a little bit here and things go a little bit better. And, you know, he doesn't pass out when he does it anymore. Right. But he still can't produce much bigger of a Patronus, but he still didn't pass out. It's just like these little baby steps. And he's just so impatient. And I think that's so relatable. And it's so Hermione. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think also, too, it's interesting because, you know, the the thing that it's a little bit different than Hermione is, is Harry is very, like, driven by results for a specific purpose, you know? Like, he, he's very yes. much about that. And so I think they both can share that drivenness. Um but for it, him, it's not just about learning. It's always for a specific purpose. And here, you know, his purpose of wanting to win Quidditch and, and not be affected by this anymore makes a lot of sense. Um, and um, it's interesting, too, because the reason he lies to Lupin about the Butterbeer is because he doesn't, he feels bad because he doesn't think Lupin would think very highly of him for sneaking out of the castle and that he cares about what Lupin thinks. And I think that's something that's kind of fascinating. Um, it goes they, back to that sort of mentor relationship we talked about last time. You know, Lupin's a father figure to him and he doesn't want to disappoint him, right? Like Just like he wouldn't want to tell Mr. Weasley that he snuck out to the village because he wouldn't want to disappoint him and he wouldn't yeah. want him to worry about him. And, you know, I think that's the same thing. I think he's not so much worried he's going to get in trouble as he's going to get like lectured that he shouldn't do it and reminded that it's kind of dangerous and scary. He's already made up his mind he's going to keep doing it. So spare spare me the lecture, Dad. Well, and it just it, it also feels like he has maybe for the first time the feeling that he might let somebody down by letting them know he did the wrong thing like he's never had anybody that i think he would care about what they cared about him but i think he cares about what lupin thinks of him in the same way that i think he cares now kind of what dumbledore thinks about him so he's slowly getting these adults in his life that mean something to him and he does i think start to have that sense of guilt when he lets them down by doing something he knows they wouldn't approve of, you know, and I think that's kind of an important thing for all of us. You know, it's part of life is, is people help us be better versions of ourselves. And part of that is because if we told them something, uh, you know, that we did, we knew, we know we would disappoint them because we also know they would be disappointed because, we knew it was wrong in the first place, but I mean, it's like this this really great way for human beings to to learn and to grow and why we need each other. And I think that's it, it's neat to see Harry start to have those feelings towards another person. Yeah, he's sort of starting to develop emotionally the same the way that most kids his age have already developed. He's starting to gain that sort of yeah. like social interaction between him and Lupin that resembles relationship kids have had at the school for 
you know, decades with their own families already. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just kind of starting to learn that. So it's just another reminder of like kind of how far behind yeah. he is with all of that, you know, not in a bad way, just in a, it's a, it's a reminder how sheltered he's had his life and how amazing all that he can kind of handle really is. It's interesting too, because they have the conversation about the Dementor kiss. Yeah. Which, you know, is this thing where Dementor lowers their robe and the only time anybody knows what a Dementor looks like is when they're about to get this kiss. And the Dementor sucks out the person's soul. And they have the conversation about whether or not anybody actually deserves that kind of treatment because you can live without your soul, Lupin says, but you're not you. And... I think that's just so fascinating, the the uh, worldview that R- Rowling has here and this whole idea that, you know, the soul is key to who you, uh, it is the very essence of who you are. Like, you can have your mind and your body, but if you don't have your soul, you don't have the you as a person, which I think, you know, when you talk about, like, whether somebody has certain abilities or what does what does personhood mean? Like the idea that everybody has a soul. As long as you're alive and you have, you know, you have a soul and you're a person in that way, you, and you have purpose and meaning. Like regardless of what your actual abilities are, or you know, I think that's really cool. But the idea that like, does anybody deserve to live like that? And Harry thinks so, based on what he heard Black did to his parents. And I think that's that's interesting, like, because Lupin's challenge to Harry is a good challenge. Does anybody, no no matter what you did, do you really deserve that? It's it's a good question. It's such a big topic that she sort of just brushes over. I mean, it's like two lines, and then they move on and go their separate ways and have their butter beers, and Harry goes back to the room, you know, for the next big plot twist and uh but it's just so sort of touched on she takes something that can has been hotly debated at least here in the united states for decades and decades and decades between you know abortion and the death penalty and all of those various things like she takes such a controversial topic and there's just a touch of it just enough to get you thinking but not enough for her to have a, a stance on it um you know she just sort of throws that in there in a way that it's just so interesting like she doesn't do it from some sort of podium i don't think she's trying to make a point she's just just reintroducing that that characteristic from real life into this fantasy world and showing that even in this world there are things that you know people are have to really think about whether they think that that's the right thing to do or not and what that means to them um, and so interesting to have Harry sort of weigh in on that and sort of, and it's almost hesitantly that he's like, well, yes. And he almost does it again in a response way that makes you think he's going back to what we were just talking about with his relationship with Lupin. Like he doesn't want to answer wrong and let Lupin down, or he doesn't want to answer and have Lupin think of him a certain way. Um, you know, it's just so interesting that there's just this little tidbit. She just kind of drops it in there and then walks away. Little drop and then. Yeah, it it is it is one of those things like she gives you a hint of how she feels like a person should feel about this through Lupin, but she then then it's the conversation's over. 
Um, right, it's not preachy. So, right, and it, it it again, it it's where that it's one of those things where she makes a statement about something, and then through the characters, she kind of shows you what you she thinks you probably ought to believe, but she does it through the story and and not through like a character making a big speech about something. So it's telling you what you should believe that way. This is just kind of showing you. And I, I think there's a big difference in that. And that's one of the things that Rowling does so well. Um, you know, she's she does have a very traditionalist sense of, of morals uh, and an understanding of the world through her characters here. But the way that she enforces that is not in a preachy manner. And that's really key, I think. And it's what makes the series so good. And it's going to be a question that actually does continue to get talked about throughout the series. Like it, it, it starts here that that those really deep questions I feel like really start to get dropped here, and um, you know this isn't where we're going to answer them uh, is in this chapter, but it is pretty fantastic that she kind of drops such a bombshell of ideas about personhood and what a person deserves, you know, depending on what they've done and all that kind of stuff. It's great. Um, And I I do kind of like that Harry's kind of ready to be done with this, you know, like, and he leaves and he's on his way and he runs into, he legitimately runs into Professor McGonagall on accident. And she's like, well, here you go. You can have your broom back. We didn't find anything wrong with it. And, uh, oh, do try to win because I'm tired of Professor Snape reminding me that they keep beating us. <laughs> now she needs to get her priorities. She needs to sort out her priorities. Yes, yes, she does. And I, I love that... Um, He's on his way back to the common room and he runs into Ron and they're like all excited about the fact that, you know, they've they've got the broom back and Ron's like, oh, I still get to write it right and everything. And I just think it's so cute. And then um, Ron's. I love that they run into Neville and then they like trying to go into the common room (laughs) and he's like, I lost my passwords like I lost them all. I can't find them. Like that's something I think that's going to be important to note. And you can feel so bad for him. Like he, he's been writing down the passwords because he can't remember them because the new dude keeps changing him. And so he's just really frustrated with that. And now he can't even find the password paper that he had. And I also like that Harry's like, you know, maybe we should, we should, you know, make up with Hermione. I mean, you know, she was just trying to help, and Ron's like, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, but I mean, it's like, okay, we got the broom back, so we can forgive her. It's cool. Um, I know. I thought the timing on that was a little, I did, I was a little disappointed in the timing on that, but you know. I feel like, though, I have to believe that Harry was at the point where he was ready to forgive her anyway and wanted to reconcile. Right. Regardless of getting the broom back or not, it just happened to coincide. That's what I'm telling myself. Yeah. Well, and I love that, you know, um, Harry does, you know, he sits down and talks to her as, as Ron takes the broom upstairs and he's going to take care of Scabbers, give him his rat tonic, and they start having a conversation about the classes that she's taking and everything, and he's like, how in the world are you getting all this stuff in? And before they can really even have the conversation, 
Ron runs downstairs and shows her this like what is it? I thought of it like a sheet. Yeah, he shows her the sheet, sheet off yeah. his bed. And yeah. apparently it's full of blood and long ginger cat hairs. And they are not dun, dun, friends dun. again. <laughs> like it went from being friends for two seconds to we are not friends. Your cat <laughs> ate my even, rat. He like, doesn't really say anything. He just kind of like throws it at her. Well, I think, yeah, at hair. this point, he is just so, I think he's so livid, he doesn't even know what to say. Because he's been warning her about this whole, you know, Crookshank Scabbers thing for a long time, and she's been brushing it off. And this is, you know, it's it's kind of, it's kind of the reverse of what happened with the broom. Hermione was really worried about it, and they weren't, and so she went, and you know, like, she took it seriously, and it turned out to be nothing, but... You know, she did the right thing in the in that sense. Like she, it was probably a good idea to have the broom checked. But I think Ron's like the. It, it my thought process is in Ron's mind. He's thinking you were worried about that stupid broom, and there wasn't anything wrong with the broom. But guess what? I've been telling you about your stupid cat for ages, and you haven't paid attention. And now look what happened. He ate my rat. Well, and I like that Ron jumps to the assumption that Scabbers was eaten. Um, and it's just one of those like circumstantial evidence type things, which is I'm sure because we end the chapter with just the bloody sheet and the ginger hairs and like no rebuttal from Hermione. Um, yeah, it's not the smoking gun. It's the bloody sheet. Yeah. It's the ginger hairs, you know? Um, I, I, and I just find it so interesting. That's immediately where he jumps to. Um, and this, the whole Scabbers Crookshanks feud is probably my favorite part of this book so far because it's so epic and it keeps coming up in like every chapter. Yeah. It makes me think of like Tom and Jerry. It's like we're watching Tom and Jerry and Harry Potter, and it just makes me laugh. Oh, and when we get to the end, because we're going to put a pin in this, it, it, I like that Ron's wrong. Like, I like that there's. What you think is happening right now is absolutely not happening right now. I think it's and that I is love it. something that she's so good at the misdirection because I do feel like this is the the one part of the book. You know, you might have figured out some of the things that were happening with Lupin, right? But I don't think you most people probably figured out what was going on with Crookshanks and Scabbers. No, I think I think it's almost impossible to figure yeah. it out. So, uh, and I love that. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I can't wait to to dive back in next week as we'll be talking about the Ravenclaw Gryffindor game. Uh, but, um, Dre, if anybody wants to catch up with you and talk some more Harry Potter or anything else that's going on, uh, where can they find you? Sure, you can find me on uh, Twitter at PCFChick or on Instagram at Drea Kaufman and it's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. Um, and I expect that when you come visit, there will be more adorable pictures of my child because I'm biased and probably lots of pictures of me stuffing my face with delicious Thanksgiving food mm, because Thanksgiving it's Thanksgiving food. tomorrow. So yes, as we, we record this, this, it's Thanksgiving yes. tomorrow, yeah. Um, Sorry, so I happy forget. Thanksgiving to everyone in America. Um and uh, you can, well, the USA, not just America in general, because there are two Americas. There's North America and South America. Anyway, I get it. Well, and happy to Thanksgiving to anybody celebrating Thanksgiving yes, anywhere. Yes, absolutely. But specifically the United States, yes. <laughs> well, um, you can also find me on Twitter, MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. I am here on the network with John Mills. 
as we're talking all about Star Wars and aggressive negotiations. I'm also on the Trek FM network with uh, Chris Jones talking about uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine on the Orb. And I do our general geek show. Uh, it's all about all the geeky fandoms we love, except for Star Trek. Um, and Andrea was just on. We talked about Stranger Things Season 2. So, yeah, check that show out. It's a lot of fun. The 602 Club. Uh, and I have one more show called Cinema Stories. And that's where I talk about film with Ones of Faith with my good friend Courtney. Uh, but thank you so much for checking your outpost. Mischief managed. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.